Good morning, church. So good to see all of you today. Well, not actually to see you, virtually to see. You can see me. I can't see you. That's kind of how it works. You know, I'm looking forward to seeing all of you when uh, when we get back together. And I was thinking the other day, I, I was talking to someone on the phone, and I said, you know, I've almost forgotten what you look like. And I was teasing, of course. But then I thought about it, you know, some folks are really exercising. They're going to come back, and they're going to be so fit, I may not recognize you. And then there's another set of you that's probably 93% of the church that's doing more baking during this time. I may not recognize you either. Well, I hope that's not the case. But I sure have missed seeing you. Look forward to us meeting again face-to-face with one another. We all do. Well, we're continuing on this week in the book of James, James chapter 2. We're going to look today at verses 1 through 13. James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. My brothers, as believers in our Lord Jesus Christ, our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor at my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into the court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is the Word of God. It is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Let's pray together. Father, help us today as we look into our Word, into Your Word. May our hearts be open to You uh, to receive all that You have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. I have a good friend who told me when she was a little girl that her grandfather would call her over and he would whisper into her ear. He'd say, don't tell any of the other grandkids, but you're my favorite. And she thought, oh, I'm really special. Till later she found out that he told all the grandkids that. You know, sometimes that really happens in families, though. Grandparents have favorites. Parents even have favorites. I took a survey one time in the church that I was pastoring at the time about that. I was doing a series on on the family, and I found out that that happened a lot. And people were really hurt by that and carried that for a long time. Not just the ones who were not the favorites, but the one who was the favorite had a 
particularly hard burden to carry with their siblings. The Bible addresses this subject of favoritism in a very general way, in a very specific way today. But I want to jump down in the passage uh, to verse 8 because this is the key verse, I think, in the passage where it says, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. It's a royal law. It comes from the king himself. It comes from God himself. It is a law that he has given to us. I was reading this, and I thought, it's in Scripture. And I was thinking, well, yeah, it's in Scripture. It's in the Gospels where uh, Jesus talks about it. But before then, because I think James is talking about being in the Old Testament, it's in Scripture there as well. It says in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Interesting. I am the Lord. That kind of goes along with this idea. It's a royal law. This is not only a law that God has given to us, but I get the idea that it's just one of these things that's very important to Him. The more familiar text that goes along with this is found in Mark chapter 12, verse 28 through 31. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. It was interesting this week as I was reading this passage and preparing for today, I noticed something I really hadn't grasped before. And that's this. The, the teacher of the law asked Jesus, he says, what's the most important commandment? He was saying, give me the big one. And Jesus gave him the big one, which was to love God with all of your being. But he went on and he added a second one, to love your neighbor as yourself. He asked for one. Jesus gave him two. That's interesting to me. He could have just stopped with one. He did not. Because I think what he is saying here, what he's saying here to us, and this is so crucial, is that vertical love between us and God is never valid unless it is also shown in horizontal love to other people. Now, you know, we want to say, oh, you know, I love God as people I can't stand. And I don't think we have that room in Scripture. Because I think this idea of loving, loving has, it has, um, has integrity to it. Uh, integrity in the sense of, of wholeness. I, I read one time that integrity is a seamless garment. You, you have it or you don't have it. And I think this idea of love is like that. It has to become a seamless garment for us who live under the rule and reign of the one King, King Jesus. Let's go back and work through the specifics of what happened here. Before we jump in, though, I want to just say when 
when the Bible was written, we didn't have these chapter divisions. And so I think it is fitting that we remember what happened at the chapter one last week when Darren preached, which, by the way, I really appreciated his emphasis uh, on, on listening and uh, being slow to speak and slow to become angry. I, I remember it. It was really good stuff. And he also talked about this verse in verse 27 where it says, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this to look after orphans and widows in their distress. And so I think we have a flow here that he's, he's talked last week about the people that tend to get overlooked, the widows, the orphans, and now we're going to see another group of people that tends to get denigrated or overlooked. He begins by saying, don't show favoritism. And the word that's in the original language, in the Greek there, it's a compound word, and, and the first part means to receive, and the second part means face. And so literally it means to receive by face. In other words, it's to judge someone on outward appearances. Don't do it. Don't do it. We do, we do it, but don't do it. I, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about an elderly gentleman that I had in my church one time that showed up for church in a pair of, of worn overalls every week. He was a retired farmer. He was 85 years old, probably, I, I'm guessing. Wore, wore these old overalls to church, and he drove a, a car that was probably 20 years old. And I remember bra he was bragging to me one time that he'd quit going to one fast food place and to another with his wife every morning to get coffee and a biscuit because he could save like three cents at one place versus the other. Maybe you guessed the rest of the story. I found out later on that he was very, very wealthy. Couldn't tell it from outward appearances. It's easy to make assumptions on outward appearances. In our story, the rich man, literally the gold-fingered man, the man with rings on his fingers, um, expensive clothes, got the preferential treatment. And the poor man the man who showed up with holes in his, his pants and maybe a, a, a less-than-clean shirt, um, shabby clothes, had to sit in the back or to sit on the floor. Now, some scholars think that James is writing about this because this actually happened in a church, which could be true or not. Verse 4, though, tells us the problem here. He says, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become, what's the problem here? You've become judges with evil thoughts. Judges with evil thoughts. Now, judging. Let, let me say this. I think, you know, we're always telling people, don't judge, don't judge. Well, we, we all make judgments. I, I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about the command in Scripture, for instance, in, in Psalm 1, where it tells us not to hang out with wicked people or are scornful people, are scoffing people. Well, you have to make some kind of judgment to assess that. Now, the problem here is the wrong kind of judgment. It's judges with evil thoughts. And the evil thought is that somehow one person is worth more than others because he, he has more. It's taking any outward quality and using that to judge other people. We can't treat anyone less than being valuable, made in the image of God person. We, we, we just can't do it. It's wrong. 
we need to be careful judging people by external appearances. Do you remember when Samuel was sent to anoint the next king? And he said, and God told him it's going to be one of the sons of Jesse. And he gets there, and the first one comes in Eliab, and he's a tall, strapping guy and, and just looked like a king. And the Scripture, God spoke to him in, in Scripture, and it says this, Do not look at his appearance or the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. God looks on the heart. And we see this here in the language that's used about poor people. He says, God has chosen the poor to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom. Now, I want to be clear. They're not accepted by God just because they're, they're poor people. Um, poverty is, is not the key to the kingdom. But more typically, it is easier for poor people to humble themselves before God and God is always the friend of the overlooked ones, the widows, the orphans, and poor people. Uh, Jesus had a heart for rich people. Jesus was not rich. When he was dedicated, they brought two, two doves. They couldn't afford a lamb. He came from a blue-collar home. His father was a carpenter. When he came in on Palm Sunday, he had to ride on, a, on a, somebody else's donkey. He didn't even own one. And when he died, he was buried in a borrowed tomb. No, Jesus was not rich. And Jesus never overlooked those who were always being overlooked by the leaders, the powerful, and the wealthy. And he goes on to say, and the wealthy. And by the way, wealthy people, by and large, are the ones who are taking advantage of you. They're the ones who are exploiting you. And later in chapter 5 of James, he's going to talk about this. He's going to... He, he judges and speaks harshly about rich people who take advantage, who use their wealth and use their power to take advantage of the poor. Now, I, I want to be clear before we move on that this impartiality has to cut both ways. There is an awful lot of verses in the Bible that talks about that God does not show favorites. He, and it goes both ways. It goes to the rich and it goes to the poor. You see, the same Jesus that talked to the poor invalid by the, by the pool of Bethesda also talked to the rich ruler Nicodemus. The same Jesus who called Zacchaeus out of a tree, the wealthy Zacchaeus out of a tree, also healed the blind beggar Bartimaeus. We we have to realize that all the way through Scripture, we see that the church should include those who have and those who have not. And both are valued by God. I have an opinion of how this story ought to play it out, if, if, if you'd like to know. It seems they were both new to the assembly. In, in language today, in 2021, we'd say these were first-time visitors. First-time visitors who came in, they both should have gotten great treatment. They both could have got, should have gotten to, seat, uh, to sit on the, on the good seats, on the front row. Or maybe actually the good seats in our church are the back row. Some of you really like to sit in the back. I know who you are. Good seats, though. And, and they should have both been warmly greeted with good morning. I don't think I've met you. What's your name? 
And let me take you to the Welcome Center. Let me give you some information. Let's make sure you've got a bulletin. And let's go back and get some goodies. Can't wait till we start meeting again and have some of those goodies and some coffee. Let me introduce you to my friend here. This is Tom today who's visiting with us. Have you met him? That's what should have happened to the guy that drove up in the fancy car and with the nice clothes and the guy who showed up on a bicycle, sweaty, with a raggedy pair of shorts. He said, well, pastor, this is, this is old stuff. This is 2,000 years ago. Is this relevant to today? It's just a little over 50 years ago that Martin Luther King Jr. said, I have a dream that my four children will one day be, live in a nation where they will be judged, will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. It was also in the 20th century that Gandhi of India was considering converting to Christianity. He believed that the teachings of Jesus could find a solution to the caste system. So he decided to go to a Christian church. And sure enough, when he got there, an usher turned him away and said, go back to your own people. He said, and I quote, if Christians have caste differences also, I might as well remain a Hindu. End of quote. Now hear me today, my brothers and my sisters. Prejudice, partiality, favoritism, bigotry, whatever you want to call it, make up another word. They are all a stench in the nostrils of the King of Kings. Whenever we reject or judge a person by their color, their nationality, their tribe, their wealth, their power, their sex, their physical appearance, their intelligence, their title, or education, when we reject people because of that, we are being judges with evil motives. Or, or if we make someone a VIP and put them above other people because of that, that's just as bad. No, the old saying is still true. The ground is level at the cross. The ground is level at the cross. Equally accessed by everyone. Why do we do this? Where does this bigotry, where does partiality, where does favoritism come from. I think at the root is this sinful idea that some characteristics makes some person more valuable than someone else. I think we need a healthy dose of theology. God said about himself, I'm going to make mankind in my image. We are all made in the image of God. We all have worth and value. Every person we meet is an eternal soul that's going to live somewhere forever and has value. We need to remember the teaching of Jesus that the most important command is to love God with all of our being. And the second one is like it. It's to love our neighbor as ourselves, And they're linked together and we can't tear them apart. Vertical love, horizontal love. 1 John 4.20, if anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. Now, wiggle your way out of that one. I don't think we can. I don't think we can. 
So everyone's made in the image of God. We're commanded by God to, to love our neighbor as ourselves. It's tied to loving God. And, but the reality is, third thing, is that we who know God have the Holy Spirit living within us. We have very God living within us. There is power available to us to change us. Hear me, to, to violate this is, a, is, is to break the royal law. It is ugly. It is unfair. It is not just a lack of courtesy. It is a scandalous breaking of the law of God, and I believe it is a scandalous breaking of the heart of God. This is the same God who has said that He is not willing that any should perish, that all men should be saved, that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And that in the church, there's, there's no barriers in the church. We, we read in Ephesians 2, he broke down the barrier between the, the Gentiles and the Jews. That was the big barrier all through the Old Testament. And then in the New Testament, he starts talking about there's not slave or free or male or female. There's none, there's none of these boundaries. He breaks them down. And if he's broken it down, who are we? What right do we to have to raise up boundaries of prejudice in our lives. Let me work on through the passage. I want to finish the text. It seems a little bit, it just seemed a little out of place, verses 10 and 11, this whole idea that whoever keeps the whole law but breaks it at one point is guilty, that if you've, if you've committed adultery but you haven't murdered, or if you murdered, you you're still a lawbreaker. And I, I'm wondering, well, why is that in there? And, and I think... I think it's, it's the idea that this is a sin that's real easy for us to try to explain away. It's real easy for us to say, well, that's just, just the way it is in our culture, or that's the way I was raised, or uh, it's not a big deal. It's a big deal to break any of the commands of God and to not love your neighbor as yourself is a, is a big deal. I think it was Dwight Moody that was talking about this text, and he said, imagine that you've fallen off of a cliff, and the only thing that's keeping you from falling now is that you have grabbed a chain, and you're holding on to a chain. And he said, how many links in the chain have to break for you to fall? Just one. Just one link. If we are guilty, we're guilty. Verses 12 through 14. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Favoritism at the end of this passage, I think, is being described here as evidence that we don't have mercy in our hearts. Mercy. Mercy is not getting the judgment that we deserve. And we've been shown so much mercy. We talk about that, how much God has forgiven us, the mercy God has shown to us, and then we want to be unmerciful to other people and judge them for some characteristic that we don't like. Let me say this. Let me say this before I leave the, the, the rich and poor situation. I've tried to think, why do, people, 
why do why are people prejudiced against poor people? Why are people prejudiced against rich people? I don't I, I don't know all the layers to that, but I think part of it is that we think that poor people are lazy, and maybe some are probably. And rich people, even in the examples that are given here, a lot of times wealthy people use their power to take advantage of other people. And they abuse other people. Are there wealthy people that do that? Yes. Are all poor people lazy? Are all rich people taking advantage of other people? No. No. This passage ends by saying, Speak. And act. The words that we speak, the actions of our lives should have no hint of playing favorites. I believe this. When we get a grasp on this, great things can happen. Great things can happen when we live under the royal law. When we truly love God truly love God, and truly that flows through us to love other people. Ernest Gordon recounts a story in his book, Through the Valley of the Kwai. It's the story of a miraculous transformation that occurred in a Japanese prisoner of war camp during World War II. In 1942, he writes that the camp of Allied soldiers was a sea of mud and human filth, grueling labor, harsh, inhumane treatment by sadistic guards. There was very little food, and it was the law of the jungle, every man for himself. That was 1942. If you revisited the camp in 1943, it was different. The ground of the camp was cleared and clean. The bamboo bed slats had been debugged. The Huts had been rebuilt, and on Christmas morning, 2,000 people worshipped. What happened? One singular event happened. One of the prisoners shared his last bit of food with another sick man. And then the man who gave the food died. They were going through his stuff, and they were wondering, what what prompted this man to do this? And among his possessions, surprise, surprise, they found a Bible. And they wondered, well, could the teachings of the Bible have something to do with this? And they began to read the Bible and passed it from one person to the next. And in 12 months, it was no less than a miraculous transformation in the camp. Don't miss this. It all began because one man obeyed the royal law. So let's wrap this up. What's the application here? Well, I think the application for us as we, as we look at ourselves is that who are we judging? Who are we receiving by outward appearance? Who are you not loving as you love yourself? 
And I want to tell you, all of us have to deal with this. All of us. What are you basing it on? Is it race? Is it wealth or lack of wealth? Is it education or power? The way people dress? Are you biased against old people? Are you biased against young people? Let me ask you, how do you think God looks at that person? Now, now before you answer, let me remind you. Let me remind you what we just celebrated, I think it was three weeks ago now. The holiday of Easter. How How Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. Whole world. How he rose to offer eternal life to all people who truly believe. How the love of God, for God so loved the world. Now let me ask, how do you think he sees other people? And then ask, how do you see other people? I'm guessing that if we had a testimony meeting and we were able to gather, and one day we will again, some of you could share some glorious Victories. If you felt comfortable, you would share how God has given you victory over prejudice and bigotry and bias toward other groups of people. But I have a hunch. I have a hunch that God has still more work to do in our hearts. And that there are probably some layers of favoritism that we need to deal with. And this is exciting to me because I I think when we start getting this right, when we start loving other people as we love ourselves, it, it is miraculous. And I think it may be the domino that changes a lot of things in your life. You see, we want to change the world, but nobody wants to change themselves. Change begins with us. And the change in us may be the domino that impacts our family and our circle of friends. And the next thing you know, it's going to impact our church. And the next thing you know, it's going to impact our community. Because we start obeying the royal law. It's powerful. Love is powerful. There's so many texts that flood through my mind when I say that. But it starts with us loving God with all of our being and loving our neighbor like we love ourselves. We ask the Lord to dig out what's in your heart. And if he shows you something, would you own up to it and say, Lord, you know, I've been playing favorites. And I've been reminded from your scripture again today. That's not what you do. And I can't say I love you and not love other people. Let's pray together. Father, be at work in our lives. Help us to be honest. Help us to be vulnerable to ourselves. Lord, you already know. It's not like we're hiding from you. Help us to be honest with ourselves and own our sin and call it sin 
and repent. Lord, we need a work of your Holy Spirit. It's easy for us to intellectually know these things, to know that you made every person in your image and to know that we're to love our neighbors ourselves. It's easy for us to know that intellectually. But Lord, we need the power that comes only from you to change us because it's hard for us to change. And yet change is what you call us to, to become more and more like you. We long for your transformation in our lives. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen.